this season of Advent you see from this slide, Anticipate is the name of our, our series, kind of our theme. We're just anticipating all that God is going to do. We, he's got a track record, folks. This God that we serve has a track record. It's a good one. He, he just he keeps coming. He, he, keeps, he keeps reaching. He keeps extending himself to us. He's done it throughout history. He did it to the people of Israel. He did it through the sending of his son, Jesus. Did it through the giving of his Holy Spirit and the church and his word. And, and he keeps giving. And so we, we just, we can't live any other way but in anticipation of what God is going to do next. And anticipating how he's going to come to our lives in real and in new and in fresh ways. Maybe even moment by moment. So we're, we're living in that, in that tone, that sense. Uh, it happened to me again this week, I, I was uh, in between two appointments, and maybe some of you have been here, most of you maybe have been here a lot, in between two appointments where there wasn't quite enough time in between those appointments to go, you know, do something else, really. It, it was kind of the one thing had happened, and the next thing was getting ready to happen, but here I was in this middle ground, this can't go back to the office, really. There's not really time to meet with another person. You know, thank God for the iPhone. You know, you can tackle the inbox a little bit, I guess, and maybe return a call or two. But uh, it's just kind of that, that awkward time in between the times, right? And uh, again, even just yesterday, I w- this happened to me. Uh, Thomas and I were going to get his haircut. And uh, we, we got there, and typically not a problem, just get there and get right in, get a haircut, you're out. But we got there, and the gal that was going to cut his hair had just started a perm on somebody else. Not on, not on me, thankfully. Um, although I had a perm once, I'll tell you about it some other time. <clears throat> she had just started a perm, and so she said, James, you're going to have to come bring it back in about 45 minutes. 30, actually, she said 30 to 45. I'm thinking, is it 30 or is it 45? Because 45, maybe I can do something with. 30, nothing. So, so 30, yeah, come back. It'll be fine. So you can't really go home at that point. Can't really, you know, we didn't really have any errands to do necessarily. So we just kind of get stuck in that, in that time. And it was the perfect amount of time, I will say, just to go split a blender and walk through the pet store. So we, we, we maximize the, the use of our time, even if it was a little bit awkward. You've had times like this, maybe most of us live in times like this uh, quite frequently. It's that period of time, again, and this is the definition, it's that period of time between the end of one activity or event and the beginning of another. And, and the actual word that def- that's defined by that definition is this word, meantime. It, and maybe you've said that phrase, you know, I, I was going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, but in the meantime, I'm going to do this. It's that time in between the ending of one event and the beginning of another event. In the meantime. And uh, much of life, if you think about it, is lived in the meantime. Not only do we have these kind of smaller daily examples of this, but there's those larger windows of time as well. Some of you are living in the meantime between the time when you first started school and the day when you will graduate. And uh, whether you're in junior high or high school or college here today, you're still in that, in that meantime between when you started and when you'll graduate. Some of us are in that kind of parenting world, right? From in that meantime of when these little 
kids just kind of showed up on our homes and the day when they'll move out and who knows when that will be, you know, but, uh, but in the meantime, they're, they're living with us. Others are living in the time between you started your career, right, and when you will retire. So there's that meantime, this middle time of, of living in work. Others are living, again, um, well, we won't go, you know, all our lives really are that meantime when we were born and when we'll expire, right? So this is that, that, mean, that, that meantime that really matters to us, I guess. The season of Advent invites us to remember that all of us are living in the time between the times when Jesus first came into the world and when he'll come again to rule and reign eternally as the king of all uh, that is. We're living in this meantime between perhaps the two most significant moments, Jesus coming, living, dying, being raised again, that whole Christ event, and this, this second time when Jesus will come again. So Advent helps us kind of you know, wake up to this fact that we're in this time when it's, it's limited in a sense. But we're also in, asked this question by Advent, uh, not only to awaken us to the fact that we live in this time, but the question of how are we going to live in this time? And that's what the Bible really seems most concerned with, not only for the Advent season, but for all of our lives. How are we going to live in this time between creation and the day of Jesus Christ? And how can we focus our lives in such a way that we maximize that? That we don't just spend time or waste time or lose time, but that we use time for the glory of God. And again, Advent helps us to kind of focus in on that. This was a question in terms of how are we living in the meantime. This was a question that the Apostle Paul asked of his churches that he had started uh, often in his letters. Last week we talked about the church in Thessalonica this week, the church in Philippi, and uh, uh, this was a, a church in northern Greece, the first church in Europe that had heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and we studied this book a couple of years ago as a church, but this was the first place that had come to hear the, G- the good news of Jesus Christ, and they had become a strong and loyal church to the Christian faith and to Paul himself, and so he writes this, this letter to them to encourage them and to challenge them. He wrote it, most likely, from prison, and uh, undoubtedly from prison. He wrote it to them, and, and so he was, on the one hand, he was writing them to say thank you, because they had be- continued to care for him while he was in prison, and extend not only their, their love, but their generosity. In those days in prisons, you didn't necessarily get you know, food and, and uh, clothing and those kinds of things, so they had provided for him even while he was uh, in prison. And so he's writing to say thank you to them, but he's also uh, writing to them to find out how things are going and to kind of check in and check up on their spiritual progress. And so I want to look at um, the just early verses, chapter one, uh, you can turn there in your Bibles if you have it, chapter one of Philippians, and we'll just read verses three to 11. And normally in Paul's letters, if you know anything about Paul's letters, he, he starts off with some words of greeting and some words of you know, nicety and just, you know, building some rapport with the, with the church. And he does some of that in these verses, but he, he launches in as well to what he wants to talk about and themes that he'll be unveiling in the rest of this passage of Scripture. So Philippians chapter 1, 
verses 3 to 11. Let's all stand together, can we? And let me read this for you. Follow along either on the screen or in the Bible. And uh, at the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So a couple of themes um, arise, several actually, but I want to just point out two this morning that, that begin to arise out of this passage that will get further attention throughout the entire book, but Paul jumps right into it here, wanting to think about a couple of, of significant themes that I, I think will help us as we consider and, and think about what it means and what it looks like for how we're to live in this time between the times. In the meantime, what are our lives to look like? And not only how, how, what are our lives to look like, but, but what are we actually to do practically? How are we to kind of make our way through kind of the muddle of the times that we live in, the times of uncertainty for many of us? How, what does this passage have to say to us about how we can continue to move through that? Well, the two things are just this. The, the first is that we have a reliable God who will complete every good work that he has begun. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We have a reliable God who will, begin, who will complete every good work that he has begun. And so uh, we want to think about what that means for us is how we live. And the second is simply this, that, that there is great importance in discerning how we are to, to live. Discerning what is best. And so while we're living in this time between the times, we need God to help us. And the promise in this passage is that he will help us to learn how to see and understand and discern what's really true about the world so we can make decisions and we can move in directions that will be most pleasing and most glorifying to God. Look again at verse 6 with me. I think I have this here. Read it with me, would you? Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Just leave that up for a moment. It makes it perfectly clear that this time between the times, this mean time of our lives that we're living here in history is, is a time when God is actively at work. He's actively at work in our lives, bringing about salvation. He's actively at work, in, actually in Philippians, all the, the, the pronouns, the second person pronouns, the, that he who began a good work in you, in Greek, all those are plural, actually. 
So when Paul writes about the good work that God has begun, he's actually talking about it in the community of faith there in Philippi. So, so we're thinking that this reveals not only that God's at work in us as individuals, but he's actively at work in the family of believers, in the body of Christ, in, in the, the, the family of God. He's actively at work accomplishing the purposes that he has in mind for us. It's clear to Paul that God is the one who had started this good work and he is the one who will complete it. People don't deserve to take credit. They're nice folks. Paul loves them. They've been very good to him. but They don't deserve to take credit for it. Paul himself doesn't deserve to take credit for it, although he was the one who went to Philippi in the first place. He was the one who helped plant the church. He was the one who... You know, blood, sweat, and tears to get this thing going. It, but Paul doesn't deserve to take credit. It was God himself and God alone who initiated, who began this good work in each of their hearts and of their lives. And it was God that no matter what the detours their individual lives or their community might take in these days, it was God alone who would bring that work to completion. And so Paul says that because of this Truth, that God is at work, we can live with confidence. I am confident of this. Did you hear Paul say that? And I think he'd want us all to have that same sense as we live in this time between the times, this meantime, this time of somewhat uncertainty as we know what's happened, but we don't know exactly how it's all playing out. We know what will happen in the end, but there can be great uncertainty. But Paul says, hey, this God who has been faithful throughout all time will be faithful to you to complete the work that he has begun. And because of that, you can live with confidence. Uh, when, when my little girl was littler, um, she's getting bigger, but when she was littler, she used to come into my room early in the morning and uh, she, she would ask me for fashion advice. Now, some of you... Uh, Ladies know that that's the last thing that anyone would want to do necessarily. I didn't do too bad. When I stick with blue and khaki, I tend to do all right. Um, I, you, know, you know, I can't go wrong there. She used to come into my room, and, and I would think she was asking me for fashion advice. Daddy, do you like what I'm wearing today? Daddy, how does this look? Daddy, do these go together? And I remember initially, I mean, this is probably like kindergarten, first grade, you know, those years. I remember those early times when she would come in and do that and I'd be, you know, shaving or something. I'd be like, honey, I really, yeah, I, you might want to ask your mom. I, I'm really not good at that. Um, so it looks good to me, but check with mom. It wasn't long before Kyla, my wife, and Katie's mom came to me and she said, um, you know, Katie's not really asking you for fashion advice. You're aware of that, right? And I said, right, I knew that, yeah. <laughs> What's she doing? What, what, what is she? And, and she said, she, she just wants to know that her daddy likes what she looks like and that her daddy believes in her and that her daddy loves her and that she's safe in her daddy's love and her daddy's approval. She just wants to know that her daddy cares about her. And I said, ah. Ah, that's exactly what I was thinking. 
But my whole demeanor from that time, I'd been, husbands, can we just say, we got some things to learn from our wives. Just listen to your pastor. We got some things to learn from our wives. Would you just let, let your, if you're married, if you're a, a husband here, let your wife help you out with some of these things, all right? Don't be so convinced that you know what's going on that uh, you can't listen to what your wife has to teach you. I am exhibit A, all right? Exhibit A, I present to you. From then on, my whole demeanor changed. Katie, hi, Daddy, how does it look? Oh, honey, Ugh. that is, that's it. Love it. <laughs> Daddy, what do you think of it? Does this go together? Stripes and plaids, babe, that is, bring it. That is it. I am with you. Just loving her, supporting her, cherishing her, right? And this is what every, if you're a dad with children today, this is what every gift uh, a father, the most important gift that a father can give to his daughter in particular, but uh, to your children as a whole. I, I hope that by saying that, that, that I was instilling in my daughter a sense, not only that I loved her, but a sense of confidence, right? That she could go out into that day then and whatever might happen to her, she could have this sense that, well, this morning my dad told me he loves me. My dad told me I look all right. So this might be kind of hard, and this girl might be mean to me, and this assignment might not be going the right way, but, you know, I'm all right. And I can live with confidence because of who I am and because of whose I am, in a sense. And this is the kind of confidence, I think, that God wants us to live with people of God in this, in this time between the times where the world is clouded with uncertainty and and, and uh, just, mud, just muddled vision. I think God just wants to say, hey, and then Paul makes it clear to us, God's saying, I'm going to complete the work that I've begun. I've got you. I'm at, I, I haven't gone on vacation, God says. I am involved intimately, intricately in the details of your lives. And so because of that, live with confidence. Go out into the world in which you live this this time between the times where everything's kind of up in the air, go out and just live with certainty. Go, go live with confidence, deciding and being and becoming all that I've created you to be. I, I've seen this in the athletic world as well, in the sports world in particular. You see an athlete who gets a shot of confidence, uh, who gets a shot of success, and, and something happens to them. Suddenly they can do no wrong. And I think if we were to live less with despair and less with discouragement because of what we aren't or what we don't have and more with confidence and more with courage because of who we do have in God, then we'd be living much more the way God would have us to live and to be. Living with confidence. Well, another theme that, uh, that, that uh, comes out here is this idea that... that um, that, uh, that part of the good work that God will be doing in us, part of the good work that he'll be accomplishing um, in us as we live in this time between the times is that he will be giving us this sense of, of understanding, this sense of insight, this sense of this depth of knowledge, this, this, uh, this discernment, really, that will help us to live with this confidence. Look again at verse 10. I just want you to see this for a moment. And it's really, really um, surrounded by verse 9 and 11. It's all part of the process. So just pick this out. This is obviously in the middle of the sentence. But just start reading with me at the very beginning. Let's read the screen together. 
so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. You may be able to discern what is best. I, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse just this week, I begin to think, boy, this is a, this is a, this is a key. This is a secret here for us as we're living in this time between the times. As, as we're living in this, in this time of kind of moral ambiguity and uncertainty and shades of gray about moral choices and you know, the world saying one thing, the Bible seeming to say another, culture and friends around you maybe saying another. And, and in my experience, in my interaction with many of you and with many others, I'll just say this is near the top of the list of, of concerns or even problems that I see and issues that we run into is people's inability, really, to discern, to see clearly what it is that God would have for them and the kind of person that God would have them to be. We're, we're really good at, at uh, just kind of creating our own understanding of what we think is good, of what we think is best. And we're not real good, generally speaking. You may be excellent at this, but generally speaking, we're not real good at being able to pinpoint and, and kind of cut through all the stuff, all the clutter, to be able to see really what it is that God would have us to do in terms of our decisions and in terms of the directions that we go. So I, how important this is for us to think about. The beauty of this passage is that God is faithful to help us. And... and and promises to help us as we're growing in discernment. We're growing in discernment. And I'm, I'm again, I, I laid it out to the husbands and the fathers a little earlier. I, I'd lay it out to all of us that, uh, that we need to be people who are open to the idea that we may have some learning to do, that we may have some growing to do in our ability to discern what's, what's true and what's good and what's right. I, the, the, you, you know what the... the First block to growing into sermon is, is thinking that you've got it all figured out. When you've got it all figured out, or when you think you do, there's no room for you to grow in learning how to figure it out. And so to be able to acknowledge and admit to ourselves this morning that we need to grow in this way. Paul prays that the love of God, get this, he prays that the love of God, look back at verse 9, just in your Bible if you have it there, that the love of God would abound in our lives more and more. How does he say it? Yeah, abound more and more. That the love of God would abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Now that doesn't register. The knowledge, or, or love would abound in knowledge and depth of insight. When we think about love, what do we think about? We think about affection. We think about compassion. We think about emotion. We think about relationship. But, and last week, if you remember in, Thessalonic, in Thessalonians' passage we were looking at, Paul wanted their love to increase as well for, the, for one another and for all the world as they expressed what it meant to be the people of God. Here he's again saying, may the love of God abound in your life, but now he doesn't say so that you can get along well. He doesn't say, may the love of God abound in your life so that you, know, you can be nice to each other or that people will see how kind you are. He says, may the love of God abound in your life so that you can, you can grow in knowledge and in depth of insight. 
What he seems to be saying here is that, that he's praying that the Philippian believers and, and we believers today would be so filled with, with the love of God that, that our way of seeing the world would be transformed. That the love of God would so fill our hearts and our lives that it begins to inform and transform the way that we look at people, the way that we look at situations, the way that we look at the circumstances of our lives, the way that we look at, at the church, the way that we look at the world, the way that we see what God is doing below the surface, if you know what I'm saying. It, it's as if he's saying that the love of God can so fill us that we can begin to see actually what God's doing in the world. We can see through all the, 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 the clutter, all the stuff that's all around us and have a vision into what God is doing in our lives and in our world. I, I uh, again, remember when I was a kid at my grandma's house, she had a Bible. She had on her coffee table, she had this Bible. And uh, yeah, it was probably, you know, one of the old Kinsler Bibles. And it was uh, there on her coffee table. But on top of the coffee table, or on top of the Bible, were a pair of glasses. And I don't know if this was kind of a decorating thing, if some of you had that in your house as well, if that was kind of a, you know, a deal back in that day. But there was this Bible, and there was a pair of glasses, and a pair of glasses belonged to my grandfather, who had passed away many years before. But, I, you know, now if I had those glasses, I would be like, oh. Grandfather, he's passed away young. I never knew him, but just cherished, almost like a relic, right? But, but back when I was a kid and I was there at my grandmother's house with my cousins, all we wanted to do was put those glasses on and just see how they distorted our vision completely. And I remember we'd put them on and we would just kind of, you know, walk around. Like, you know, where are we? Kind of seeing all the different perceptions that were in those glasses and just how they, they changed the whole way that we saw the room and what we'd run into. And, and I'm just glad, as far as I know, we didn't break them. Uh, I really don't remember that for sure, but as far as I know, we didn't break I'm going to claim that here today. Well, putting on a set of lenses like this, maybe when you, you get glasses for the first time after you actually needed them for a long time, and you put those glasses on, you're like, oh, that's what you look like, honey, you know, or something like that. Um, and you're able to actually see what you, you hadn't been seeing for a long time. Well, I, I think that's what Paul is suggesting about the love of God. When it gets into our hearts and lives, when God's love truly begins to envelop us and fill us, then we begin to see things. We have this depth of insight. We have this knowledge about what's going on in a new way that helps us to, to see and to discern things at, at, new, at new levels. So you may be able to discern what is best. Um, goes on to say that as we discern what's best, we'll be, we'll be living a life that's filled with the fruit of righteousness that will be pleasing to God. It's this love of God. Get, get the transition. This is almost the work that God wants to do in each of us, the, the work that he wants to complete in, a, in each of us. The love of God so filling our lives that we're able to see the world in a new way discerning what is best so that we might live lives that are filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is the work. This is the beautiful cycle that God is always working. God is always completing 
in beautiful ways. I want to invite my friend Todd Wilson to come on up here. Todd uh, is a good friend of mine, and he's been here at our church before. I'm going to give you this microphone, Todd. And uh, we've known each other for a few years. Some of you have gotten to meet Todd when he's been here or in other places. And uh, just really thankful for Todd, his mom and dad, some friends and support as well. So really good. But as I looked at this verse this week, in particular verse 6, and uh, thinking about this whole theme, God's ability to, to complete the work that he's begun in us. God's ability to, to help us to live with a confidence that, that, that isn't because of who we are, but it's because of who he is. And also this idea of growing in discernment and learning and becoming. Then uh, I just began to think of Todd. And so I called him up and asked him if I could drag him up on stage and ask him a few questions. So he graciously obliged. Thank you, Todd, sure. for being here with us. And uh, thanks for your friendship and for your willingness to share. So I've had the, I've had the, I don't know if you call it a privilege or the opportunity to have a, have a seat in, uh, in view of your life over the last couple of years, two or three years. And uh, it's, I'm thankful for that. I really am. Um, and again, I've seen this at play, how God's been faithful to you. But if you would, Todd, just go back a little bit, share, share a little bit of your journey. There's so much you could share, I know, but just a little bit of your journey that'll help us understand what's, what's really going on in, in your heart and life. And if you can, just talk a little bit about how God has been faithful in the midst of all of that in completing his work in you. Um, well, I come from a long line of pastors. Um, my dad's a longtime preacher and my grandfather. And so when I was a kid, my, my fantasies were about preaching and my fantasies were about being a pastor. And so that's what I pursued um, for the most part. Um, all my life, I was, gave my fr first sermon when I was like 11, um, memorized something from Billy Graham, <laughs> um, and, uh, and got to preach in my grandfather's church. And I and I'd always, uh, I'd always been so obsessed with going into the ministry, and I was pretty sure that's what uh, what I was going to do. And and then I got into high school, and um, and uh, was really a great kid. I mean, I, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of issues, uh, certainly nothing illegal or anything like that. And um, and I remember, you know, in preparation for going into the ministry. You know, asking my dad, you know, I remember thinking, well, you know, I don't have a really great story to tell. You know, it's like I don't connect with people who, uh, you know, a lot of different people because I've had a relatively boring life, you know. And so, and I would remember praying, you know, God, I really want to have an interesting story to tell, an interesting life. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, top ten things not to pray for. And then, <laughs> and then, um. And then I, uh, went to, I went to APU, Azusa Pacific, and then I went to Westmont, and, and, and then I went to Cal Baptist, and um, never, made it, never made, it, made it never made it to Point Loma, <laughs> and um, and then I and then I went to Fuller Seminary, and um, 
pursued a master's there and just just uh, was well on my way to the into the ministry. But somewhere along the lines, um, I think that and in you know by all intents and purposes, I was successful um, in the ministry um, and uh, went into sem- went into seminary and um, and then. Uh, I was introduced to an alternative God, really, um, a, a, a com- something in competition with my God, um, Jesus, and um, and I, you know, I thought enough of myself and I to think I could do the ministry and not um, and not follow the one true God. Um, I put alcohol and drugs in my body, and uh, and on um, and I did it. I did it to the full extent uh, that you could, that one could, um, and that became my new god, really. Um, and I'm not sure that that's really that significant. That that was my one god, that was my new god. But that's what you know. If it was anything, if it's food, if it's whatever, I just put something in place of. Of God, and so, and so, uh, I actually went into the ministry. I was a pastor in a church. I got married. Um, I did all the things, and I was looking. I looked. I looked the part, and then I, and then um, it started to creep up on me that what I was following um, wasn't. There was no. There was no salvation in it, mm-hmm. and um, there was no. Uh, there was no fruit that was really coming from what I was doing, but, you know, but it was working. I could put on the mask, I could put on the facade, um, and I could, I could fool people for a while. Well, it caught up to me in the ministry, and, um, I was fired, um, from a horrible, in a horrible situation involving drugs and alcohol, and, and came, and that was in Indiana, and I came back to California, and um, and I threw away the marriage, and um, went into a horrible spiral, because um, I just assumed, I guess, that that the work that God began in me, He was just done. I had missed my opportunity. I'd missed my good chance um, at coming through for for uh, God, and so. Given up on that dream, and um, and I just went into uh, a hole. I went rehab to rehab, and uh, I, you know, found myself on the streets in San Diego. Found myself on the, you know, sleeping under a bush in uh, in Montecito. I guess if you're going to sleep under a bush, Montecito is probably the best place. But <laughs> um, but uh, alcohol and drugs was all I could do to make myself feel okay and um and it was really it was really horrible when you feel like you missed your opportunity in life you missed you know and it's obvious that that feeling comes from from the decision that god couldn't really take care of me i you know alcohol was going to or i could take care of myself or whatever so i just pursued and then um started going to jail and uh, started, um, yeah, just started going to asylums. I OD'd eight times. Um, 
and it was it's it was surprising for some people who know who knew me as a kid because the work that God began in me when I was young um, I just assumed you got one shot and you know and I had gone through all the education that I needed and I had gone through you know the experience in the church but God wasn't done training me I guess you know he was he was uh, he was really training me with the life experience that he was giving me and then I went into the rescue mission and um, and that's where life really changed um, for me and um, my family owns a, a apartment complex down on the west side in Santa Barbara and it's a place where low-income families come and they can be a part of uh, you know and have you know have a nice place to live and and be taken care of and cherished and this type of thing and I um, tried to manage it when I was still out there running when I was still trying to find myself and I just became I became you know as involved in my um, addictions and all this stuff as they you know as every as, as anyone and and um, and over the last two years um, staying sober it's uh, it's amazing what God has uh, has changed in me I've really um, I've met some of the best friends I've ever had but I've also recognized um, I think one of the God cares more about who I am than what happens to me. Um, you know, God cares more about the person that I have become um, than the feelings I'm feeling. And happy, sad, depressed, you know, elated. Um, and that's taken a certain amount of, uh, of discernment on my part, it just in recognizing that you know, that you can't have two gods. You can't. It's impossible to, uh, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, you know, that I can't survive following anything except Jesus. I just, I, uh, for me, it's, um, it's impossible. And discerning what is following Jesus and what isn't is sometimes hard, but, but I... Um, I've gotten the opportunity now to take over running our uh, our family business, and um, with my dad and mom, who are the founders, and um, and I, you know, it's just like the opportunity to give back to people who are struggling with, you know, who their real God is is um, is unbelievable. Yesterday, I got my driver's license. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's funny because the lady that gave me my driver's license, you know, she's just like, she does this 50 times a day, and I, uh, she gave it, she handed it to me, and I said, would you clap for me or something? <laughs> <coughs> and she, yeah, she escorted me out really quick, but. Security. Yeah, but it was, I mean, just little things like that. Like, it's just, it's amazing that God, God, when, like when my dream was taken away, you know, when I was in the ministry and I was getting to do what I love to do and, and helping and sharing with people. And then all of a sudden you feel like, oh, that dream is just gone. You know, you screwed it up. You missed the right, you know. And 
and to be given back the opportunity to serve because of the you know 14 years I spent drinking, following another following another God. It just it's a blessing and an honor. And so awesome, awesome. The story. I'm really interested, Todd, in just these last couple of years. We met when Todd was at the rescue mission, and uh, I could tell there was something going on with this guy because he seemed to be really critiquing my Bible studies. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Right. And, uh, and so that was, we had a great time together yeah. in those days. And uh, joy to just continue to watch and see these new things that God's bringing back and, and just maybe weren't even there before, just new things. But I'm really interested in the discernment process for you because I think that really hits home for a lot of us. Mm. And uh, I'd just be interested to, just in the last couple of years, as you've come out from the fog of your addiction and as you've really come into the clarity of you know, the genuine love of God in your life, how, how are you seeing the world differently? What are you seeing... Uh, yeah, what are you seeing these days about who God is, about who He's called to, you to be? What, um, what do you, how do you, how do, what lenses, you know, are yeah. you seeing the world through these days? Definitely, definitely, um, if, if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen to me, it can happen through me. Um, I, I had to retrain my whole, the last two and a half years has been just retraining my way of thinking to not, to, to not be as selfish with my motives, to not be, um, with, for me, discernment is, is about motives. I think that most of decisions are. And for me, um, for me, pain is not a deterrent for uh, learning a lesson. I've re kind of redefined what pain is in my life, you know. I mean, it used to be as a child in Sunday school, you know, pain meant you were far from God. And to me, just the last, you know, when I came out of, when I came out of you know, my seminary time, I was so convinced that I could lead multitudes of people to come to know the Lord. And I was so convinced that I could, I, you know, I could run a church. I could do all these different things. I was very convinced that I was the one. I had no intention of giving God the credit. And for me... Um, my education just began, I think, when I came out of, when I came out of seminary. My education, my education in life really uh, um, was hard and painful and it hurt in a lot of places. And, um, but I also, I also am more steadfast than I've ever been, than I've ever been. And that really stink sometimes that you, you know, I wish I was the kind of guy, you know, as my dad always gets on me because, you know, like I'll go out on a rainy, on a cloudy, cloudy day, I'll go out and I'll have to get really wet before I decide, oh, okay, umbrella may be a good <laughs> idea, you know, and, and, you know, I wish I was one of those people that, you know, could take an umbrella with me, 
and use it, you know, when I see the clouds. Um, no, not so much. And uh, so, so, you know, for me, it's about, I think that a lot of, um, a lot of discernment has come from recognizing the days to take an umbrella. Um, you know, recognizing that cloudy weather is not my fault. It's just part of life. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, an umbrella is a good idea. It doesn't have to be a, it doesn't have to be a, um, it doesn't have to be a self-esteem issue. It doesn't have to be an ego issue. I'm, you know, I'm not taking an umbrella because I, I just don't need one, you know. It's, it's just, it's just, it's better. Making the decisions in my life, being able to recognize sin is a really huge thing. Being able to, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was too churchy when I was a young, a young kid to uh, be able to recognize sin. Um, but being able to recognize something that's sin and what's not is, is, uh, is a big, is a big step for me. And, um, you know, and I, you know, I don't like, for instance, I don't think that drinking alcohol is a sin, but I think that me drinking alcohol is a sin, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it's for me. And and that, that goes for, you know, a thousand things in life for me. You know, I have to decide what's going to take me away from Christ and what anything that's going to deter me from Christ. That's a cloudy day. I'll just take a rainbow. I mean, uh, I'll just take an umbrella. Yeah. You, you talked a little bit about what's going on at the apartment complex. Mm. This is a, I got to go and tour it with you mm. a little bit and just get a little bit of the story a couple weeks ago. And uh, really thankful for the work God's doing there. Mm. Just talk, talk about how you've you know, kind of the renewal that you're feeling just in terms of being able to be a part of that place and how God is, uh, just give us a little bit of the specifics of it yeah. and, and just how God's using you there, how you, oh, yeah. you're oh, feeling This used. is amazing. I, I love this place and it's not that I'm in any way trying to sell it, but I love, there's, seven, there's 70 families. It's a nice apartment complex. People come to this complex in families, mostly single mothers, you know, with a lot of kids and they come into this place and um we don't it's not like we advertise we don't even have a whole lot of rooms available apartments available it's just a regular apartment complex we have a lot of section eight but to see the gratitude in people's lives who recognize that you know a family will come up to this fan to this complex and you know a mother with her kids and she'll say, oh, I'm on Section 8. And she'll expect me to say, oh, boy, we don't have Section 8. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, it's just not going to work. You know, to hear, to hear from, to hear, to see her face when I say, you know what? Oh, that's great. We actually prefer Section 8 <laughs> families because that, you know, that tells me that there's a, that there's a struggle here. And she, you know, they'll, they'll go through their days, you know, this is just like a regular complex, like I said, but it's the kind of thing where we get to get, I get to get into these people's lives. And I feel like God kind of gave me a little bit of a lesson, you know, the last 14 years in understanding the lives of people that really struggle, you know, because real, real good people struggle all the time. And these are the kinds of families that are at the complex. We throw parties, we have Bible studies. We have, you know, all kinds. I mean, we just had a, we had a um, Thanksgiving Day party, uh, right? We had a big tent in the parking lot and all this. And there was like 25, 30 people there. But then 
we had a mariachi band. <laughs> talk about a crowd going for, this is like a dream, 25, this is, yeah, talk about 25 people, mariachi band starts 250 people, <laughs> done. And, uh, and I got to take a bunch of my friends from the mission down there, and they were security, you know, that's kind of cool, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that's not scary. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's just awesome. I cannot tell you how exciting it is to help families, to help these families at this village who struggle with things that I struggle with all the time and be able to offer them a solution, be able to offer them grace, you know, sometimes even rent grace, you know. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing and it's um it's a total blessing for me and my outlet to be able to share with what God's done in my life, you know, because it's amazing. Mm. Todd? Uh, <clears throat> I get excited about that one. It's a little more fun to talk about what's happening and what's coming than what's been, mm. right? God, um, God has begun a good work in you, Todd. And we're thankful for that. Mm. And we're thankful that he is in the process of completing it. He's not done yet. You know that. And he won't be until the day of Christ Jesus. But we're thankful for your, uh, your sensitivity, and we pray for you, and uh, we believe in you. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. Let's thank the guys. Thanks, Todd. Awesome. We're in the meantime. Here we are. That event has happened. This event yet to come. How are we going to live? That's really the question today. How are you going to live in the meantime? And, and uh, you know, these, these ideas, confidence and discernment. You know, I, I just wrote down just a, a few questions I just thought to ask, you know, as we think about living with confidence, as we think about growing in discernment. We, we just kind of have to ask ourselves these types of questions. Is, is the road I'm on going to the destination that I want to get to? Are the people that I'm doing life with helping to shape Christ in me? Are the, uh, are the priorities of my life in line with what God's priorities are for my life? Am I knowingly participating, as Todd made mention of, in any known and willful sin? Am I willing to repent and move into new directions as God makes those clear to me? The, the promise of the passage is beautiful and it is powerful that while we live in the meantime, we are not on our own. We have a God who is faithfully at work completing the job that he has begun. 
Our task isn't to complete the job. Our task is to let him do it. Open our hearts, open our lives to the work that he wants to do in and through us. We can do that with great confidence today. And we can do that knowing that his spirit will so guide us, will help us to see as we're filled with his love, help us to see the situations, the circumstances, the people around us in ways that will help us to decide and go in the direction that God would have us to. I'm confident of that too. Let's stand together, can we? Worship team, come on up here. Jesus, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You are are God for us. You're the God who says to each person here today, I love you. I believe in you. I've given my all for you. I want your very best. I am available to you even now. You're the Lord who says, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. This, is a, this can be a tough time, this time between the times. and There's a lot of temptation and a lot of different directions you could go, but I'm here. You say to us to faithfully complete the work that you've begun in us. You're going to You're going to so fill us with your love, Jesus. You're going to so inform every part of our being by your love, oh God, that that, that we have a new depth of insight, that, that we're able to see things for what they really are and to see you, God, for who you really are and what you're doing in the world for what it really is and and be able to to align our lives and to put our lives in such a place where where we're able to beautifully and powerfully participate with you in what you're doing. And that is a very exciting prospect. To, to live lives that are filled with the fruit of righteousness that are, that are pleasing and glorifying to you because, again, it's not about us. It is all about you. So, Lord God, the one who has begun this good work, we just again look to you and say, have your way in completing it in just the way that you want. Help us to ask ourselves the hard questions of discernment. Help us to be willing to listen as you speak and willing to obey as you direct. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for our brother Todd. Bless him today. And as he moves forward in his ministry and life and in all that you have in store for him, God, just... Continue to be at work. Continue to use him. Continue to encourage and empower him for your service. And we give ourselves to you for this, uh, this possibility in our lives as well. We pray this in Jesus' name.